0: Warning: This episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. and welcome to another episode of Whiskey Sex Talk. We are your hosts, Romeo,
1: Maria, and Kim.
0: All right. How are you, ladies? What's going on? Anything new? How's your summer?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hot here in Los Angeles. Really hot. (laughs) So, Uh, um, you know, the U.S. is baking.
0: So pretty much we're everybody, we're, it's hot, it's humid here in Israel, but you know what? I'm excited for today's episode because today we're going to be talking about Australian, New Zealand, and Tasmanian whiskey. I don't Yay. know anything about these whiskeys, just much like I didn't know much about Canadian mm-hmm. whiskey. So Kim, please, can you tell us a little bit about the history of whiskey in Australia?
1: Sure. It's uh well it's it's uh a kind of a long history. I mean there was um there was illegal distilling uh you know which kind of began uh you know in the early or in the late 18th century uh 19th century. And then um there was and and there's a couple of big distilleries in the beginning. Uh There was uh, Warren Hype and there was a federal distillery, and those were both pretty large commercial distilleries. Uh, But then things changed in the 1930s and um, uh, distillers, uh, the Distillers Company of Edinburgh came in and they kind of took over, you know, one of the distilleries and, you know, really started, you know, building things up. And then Gilby's of London, which is, you know, probably maybe uh, famous to people as Gilby's Gin, uh, but they came in and also started buying up distilleries Uh, and the distillers, um, the distillers company of Edinburgh is, has, has become Diageo, which which is one of the largest whiskey, you know, companies in the world, spirit company in the world. So what these... um, outside international companies were doing is they were really dominating the whiskey market, the whiskey distilling market uh, in Australia. And they were using uh, kind of tax laws and, you know, kind of trade favoritism to produce uh, really low quality uh, grain whiskeys for, and then they would, and they bring in, uh, they bring in uh, materials from, England and they would just, you know, produce there. And, but they, so what happened is Australian whiskey got a reputation for being really bad whiskey. They were making just kind of low quality grain whiskey and, uh, you know, they, so that was going on for, you know, 1930 until about 1980. And then, uh, you know, and then things started to change in the, in the 1990s. So basically what happened then is uh a man named <clears throat> uh well Tas- tasmanian whiskey was also it, you know so it's very interesting in in australia there are there's australian whiskey which is considered kind of the main you know the the main large island of australia the continent then there's tasmania which is an island off of Australia and is you know the, the you know where many many great whiskies are made because of the climate and the water is really pure and and then there's New Zealand whiskey so they're all kind of separate and they all have kind of separate histories so for a long time as I mentioned Australian whiskey was just really kind of bad quality but so then separately over in Tasmania. Um, whiskey distilling had begun, oh, you you know, illegal distilling, but it, you know, wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really highly regulated. So it was kind of illegal distilling was, you know, just kind of let go for like late 19th century. And then, um, the governor, uh, Macquarie, decided you know he realized well let's legalize it because it will stimulate grain production and you know grain was a big deal in Tasmania it's you know great for growing the waters pure the temperatures are great and um also would produce some tax revenue and so this was uh you know it was so only for about 12 years was was the whiskey industry in Tasmania flourishing and then uh, the another dis- uh, uh, governor, John Franklin, who was kind of later became kind of infamous for leading the you know ill fated Northwest Passage, and you know the the, the ships dis- disappeared, et cetera. Anyway, he was a governor. Then his wife, Lady Jane Franklin, uh, was a very erudite, very cultured, very well educated woman. She was an early explorer of of Australian Tasmania, and she was a patroness of the arts and very cultured and a philanthropist. Unfortunately, she was also a teetotaler, and she was very vocal about it. So Mm. even though, uh, you know, the grain industry was really helping whiskey, uh, she famously said, I would rather barley be fed to pigs than be used to make swine out of men, which even though it's anti-whiskey, I think is like (laughs) one of the most amazing statements I've ever heard. I mean, it's just like, what? Uh, So John Franklin, because of that, he just he just banned whiskey production in Tasmania. And it was like that for 150 years. And it was only in Tasmania. It wasn't in in you know, the, you know, the main, you know, the Australia in general. So it's a very weird dichotomy.
0: That's so, that's so interesting because the little that I know, Tasmania has the most distilleries in any state in Australia. And I think they have over 22 whiskey distilleries and that's of 2020. And interesting enough, it, um, you know, they have the perfect condition conditions suitable for whiskey production and here right. you're telling us that they have like all this drama.
1: Yeah, for 150 years they couldn't wow. produce. So uh, yeah, so that was really interesting. And then um, so what happened? And this is kind of a, you know Tasmanian whiskey history. I think is you know kind of, to me more interesting than you know general Australian whiskey or New Zealand whiskey. So uh, what happened is a man in the 1990s, a man named Bill Lark, uh, who is a big fan of scotch whiskey, uh, he said uh, he was he was, uh, you know, fishing with his father-in-law and they were by a stream. And Bill said to his father-in-law, Max, well, you know, I wonder why Tasmania is not making whiskey. I wonder why it isn't. So he researched the laws. And discovered this crazy 150-year-old ban on distilling whiskey in Tasmania. And so he decided to kind of check it out and you know said, Well, we'd like to start distilling again. And you would think after 150 years, it would just be, you know, completely codified at that point, and there'd be all kinds of resistance. But he said, you know, as he put it, he pushed on an open door. I mean, there was no resistance. It had just been that way for decades and decades, mm-hmm. over a century, and you know, he just said, "Well, I'd like to start dis- distilling again." They basically said, "Okay." <laughs> so there was <laughs> there was no reason for him for the Tasmanian whiskey industry to have gone that long without producing. It was just you know, it took Bill uh, and his wife Lynn to just kind of bring everything just to challenge the status quo and they didn't even have to challenge it that hard. So that was, they really changed the industry. It, the that, kind of the godfather of whiskey. That's
0: that's it's, you know what I like about this is that even though Tasmania has like the largest concentration of whiskey distilleries, I mean, mm-hmm. Australia has like 50 active distilleries producing whiskey. I mean, it's really fascinating for me, just like this bit of history that you're giving us because who would have, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, I know a little bit of it, but I didn't, I didn't know how really, um, involved they are in, in the whole, in, 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 whiskey, uh, production.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, the climate is so perfect for it. And, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, they're, they're, they have a different production from obviously from scotch, uh, and, can, you know, Canadian or bourbon, but it is very similar to the uh, to Scotch whiskey. It's probably the closest to Scotch whiskey of any other type of whiskey. And so, how does uh, Australian whiskey differ in production and style from the other whiskies? Well, there it's not as regulated. Um, you know, bourbon, for instance, uh, has to be put into you know virgin, uh, charred, new oak casks. Uh, but Australian whiskeys, well, first of all, you know, so they they tend to use a lot of what what are called first fill uh, bourbon casks. I think I've mentioned in previous podcasts that uh, bourbon casks uh, to make bourbon, the the distillate has to go into the barrel uh, that a, a barrel that has never been used before for told to any other whiskey. So those used barrels go all over the world um, because they can only be used once. So. The second time, it's kind of confusing, but the second time a whiskey barrel is used, it's called a first fill barrel. So it's the first time it's been filled after the original distillation. So um, uh, Australian whiskey, Tasmanian and, you know, regular, you know, mainland Australia and New Zealand uh, tend to use those used barrels but then they also um interestingly they because of there's such a huge um wine industry in australia a lot of especially port barrels there's a lot of distillation of wine you know into mm-hmm. port fortified wines as they're called so um so a lot of those barrels are available so there's a huge uh, number of uh wine barrel of, of whiskeys that are matured in wine barrels um one of the Barossa is you know uh Barossa wine barrels are you know from outside of Melbourne uh is a very famous one Starward uh which is a relatively new whiskey on the scene but highly award winning started by a man named Dave Vitali uh and they uh, exclusively mature their whiskeys in these uh wine barrels uh but also you know I was talking about Bill and Lynn Lark, you know, they're really the godmother and godfather of whiskey, and they really fell in love with those port-finished barrels. So that's very different. Also, the grain that is used um, for Australian whiskey, it tends to be um, a different kind of grain than, you know, the distilling grain that is typically used. So it gives a little bit of a rougher flavor, but still very interesting. So... Uh, but that's that, those are the kind of the main differences.
0: I noticed that uh, Australia, at least, like when they, as far as like the whiskey pr- produce, when them pr- when they're producing whiskey, it's similar to Scottish whiskey. Is that a, is that a fair assumption? Because that's what I'm understanding he, here.
1: Yes, it's it's closer to Scottish whiskey than it is to any other kind of whiskey. So, um, yeah, go ahead.
0: Was no, I was going to ask you, was that done purposely, or was that just kind of like the way that they wanted to? They wanted to produce whiskey closer to its, quote unquote, origin.
1: Uh, Right. Well, um, certainly Bill Lark, who is, you know, again, as I mentioned, really relaunched the Tasmanian whiskey industry. Uh, He was a huge Scotch fan uh, and he was really inspired by his love of, of Scotch whiskey to, you know, start distilling um, also, he had a, it was very interesting when he and Lynn uh, first started distilling and they um, it, it got back from Australia to Scotland. Uh, a man named John Grant, who you know, his family owns Glen Farkless uh, Distillery, which ah. is still family owned. Yeah. yeah. Maria mm-hmm. knows. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite <laughs> whiskeys. Yeah. And too yeah and uh, so they so John Grant found out from like his local you know distributor that Bill Lark was making uh whiskey. He called him up from Scotland. he called Bill in Tasmania and said, I hear that you are creating whiskey in Tasmania and I want to offer all my help and all my encouragement. And Bill is like, why wow. And he said, well, because if you are going to be making whiskey, I want you to help you make whiskey that everybody will love and uh, that so when they taste your whiskey, they will be encouraged to taste other whiskey. And I think that was kind of a, you know, a reference to the fact that Australian whiskey had not been very good for a long time.
0: Okay, Ken. so here's what I want to know.
1: Can you tell us the history of
0: whiskey in New Zealand
1: Sure. I mean, it's it's not as uh, wildly exciting as, uh, you know, the Tasmanian whiskey, because all over the place and all of the weird setbacks and, you know, they're, them winning, you know, kind of out of the blue, uh, you know, a lot of whiskey uh, awards, you know, but which I can talk a little about but a little bit later when we're talking about some of the brands that I would recommend. But so New Zealand whiskey. The industry was, you know, pretty, was not really well developed. And in nineteen in nineteen seventy, uh, Willowbrook distillery, which is one of the main distilleries, it had been bought by Seagrams, but kind of left to they they didn't put a lot of money into it. and uh, Cyril Yates, who was uh, you know, a guy who had worked at at the Willowbank Distillery since he was sixteen uh, and worked there for a long time. And he was kind of, was not, was treated a little shabbily by Seagrams. They were going to send him to London and, you know, to thank him for all his service and they never did. But so Willowbank closed, Seagrams closed it in about the 1970s. Uh, and this guy named Greg Ramsey found out about it. And he heard that there were about 400, I think it was 433, barrels or casks of whiskey. And, um, I think that was exactly, and that were available for purchase. So he, you know, went in with some partners and bought those. I mean, it's a big investment, but what he became is one of the first independent bottlers, uh, in New Zealand. And he started the New Zealand whiskey company or whiskey collection, as it's also called. And what he did is he got some of the oldest whiskey in New Zealand and bottled it and, you know, kind of basically with the idea of n- not, you know, launching the scene. So
0: now what's up? Uh, what's I do have a follow up question on that one uh, now that thank you for giving us that amazing history, by the way. What is the New Zealand style and pro- style and process for making whiskey?
1: Well, it is. It's pretty similar to, um, you know, Australia and, you know, Tasmania is part of Australia. Um, that's not that different, uh, but it doesn't have as many peated whiskies. Um, they, you know, Tasmania, I mean, uh, New Zealand probably even more than Tasmania has just extremely pure water, beautiful climate. Uh, so it's just it's kind of like a paradise for whiskey making, but it's really kind of just starting uh to have a renaissance. I mean, literally in the last, you know, maybe decade. Um couple of distilleries that are coming out of there are Thompson, uh, mm. Cardona, a brand new whiskey distillery uh, called Pocono, uh, a very fun website. If you want to check that out, P-O-K-E-N-O. Beautiful. It's all very interactive and has iguanas and everything. It's adorable. Um, but those, those are some of really kind of the main whiskey distilleries. I mean, it's very few. It's, it's a, you know, a whiskey industry that is still kind of finding its footing, but it really came about because Greg Ramsey, you know, bought all those uh, you know, whiskeys from Willowbank Bra- Willow and then brought them on to the New Zealand scene.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you.
1: And so sure. uh how about um women in these industries both in australia and new zealand and tasmania let's talk about all of them (laughs) well there's uh you know especially in tasmania uh so bill clark i mentioned uh uh, bill lark sorry not clark lark uh his wife lynn was instrumental in getting the you know he very much acknowledges that she he built interestingly when they first wanted to start distilling Lynn was like, oh, we don't need to become legal. Let's just stay bootleggers, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, But she is acknowledged by Bill as having the better palate, the better nose. Um, So obviously she's, you know, if he's the godfather of whiskey, she's the godmother. I mean, they she tilled this, you know, she tended the stills all day while Bill was off surveying. And then he took over Um, their daughter, Christy Booth Lark. Uh, is has her own distillery, the Kilara distillery. Uh, And she was she basically grew up. She's basically whiskey royalty, Tasmanian whiskey royalty. You know, she's the she's not only Kilara distillery is not only one of the few women owned and operated distilleries in the world, but she is the first second generation distiller in in Australia. Uh, So she is very, very cool um uh, you know heads up all kinds of organizations for you know promoting um the you know emergence of of women distillers um there Sullivan's Cove which is a very famous whiskey they they kind of put whiskey uh, distilling on the map because they won a um gold medal of you know in 2014 they won world not more than gold medal, they won world whiskey of the year, which really put, uh, you know, on the uh, Tasmanian whiskey on the map and Australian whiskey and their, uh, distiller blender is a woman. And then a woman, uh, named, um, so I had, uh, mentioned Sullivan's Cove, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, one in, in, uh, 2014 won best, uh, best whiskey in the world, which really put, uh, you know, Australian and Tasmanian whiskey on the map. I mean, no, no whiskey outside of Japan or Scotland had ever been named whiskey of the world. So that was a huge, big achievement. And their, um, Distiller and Blender is a woman named Carly Dyer at Sullivan's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Heather Tillett is is the head distiller at Sullivan's Cove. And a woman named Carly Dyer is a distiller and blender at Starward Whiskey. I'd mentioned Starward before. Uh, They have, you know, basically mature exclusively in red wine casks. Uh, And, you know, big, you know, partly because of Carly. So Carly was was responsible uh in great part uh, as the distiller and blender uh, at Starward Whiskey. And Heather Tillett, who is the head distiller at Sullivan's Cove, uh, you know, helped uh, be, you know uh, further the reputation of that whisk of that distillery, which won 2014 uh one World Whiskey of the Year. And then a woman named Angela Andrews, who's a co-owner and distiller at Le Distillery. I hope I'm saying that right. French is not great. Uh, And she just, you know, her whiskey's just won gold medals like in the last couple of years. So there's a lot of women, uh, a lot of women in the distilling industry in Tasmania and New Zealand specifically. I mean, sorry, not New Zealand, um, Australia. Not quite so much in New Zealand. Um, There's a, a there are basically women who are whose husbands have started, and they're, you know, kind of part of the team, but not as well established. I mean, the whiskey industry in New Zealand is just so emerging that there hasn't been a lot of, you know, they're just kind of focused on getting their, you know their feet under them rather than uh, you know women. whereas uh, Tasmania and uh, you know, Australia in general, um you know, they they have a long history, and they can really uh, you know, start focusing on women. That's not to say that there's not still sexism, you know, right, right, women right, in the right, industry. Right, yeah. Y- yeah. That's you all know, industries. So.
0: I mean, it's, it's all industries, but you know, it's really exciting and I'm really looking forward to see where they go from here and who's going to emerge, what women are going to be, we're going to be seen in in the whiskey industry and uh, I do. I what I what I find interesting is that they went from being down under <laughs> to mm-hmm, literally right. the, like the the best whiskey of the On world. It's, it's really <laughs> yeah. it, that's that's a, that's a beautiful story. I mean, just think about it. You you said it earlier at the beginning where Australia was considered even from Australians like shitty whiskey. No offense to my yeah. Australian uh, listeners, but really that's what uh, that's what it was known yeah. for. And they went yeah. to being the world copying yes. scotland and japan, japan and everybody else wow
1: that's yeah. like no, it's, that's amazing yeah it is amazing it's um and you know it's it's just all to really to uh bill lark ch- saying i wonder why there hasn't been whiskey made in challenging the status quo and that's really all it took you know to kind of right. help launch the whiskey industry because tasmania is you know, I mean, there's a lot of whiskeys on in Australia proper. I think I'd mentioned Star uh, being a, a major one, but Tasmania really kind of helped reshape the, the landscape. And just to um actually elaborate on something that you said um about Lynn Lark, um, about just you said she had the better palate and the better nose. I think maybe it might be interesting for our listeners to who aren't, you know, as deeply into the chemistry of whiskey. Could you tell us, you know, what is considered a better palate or a worse palate? What, what is, how does that look? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Thank you, Maria. That's great. Uh, Well, uh, basically when you are are evaluating whiskey uh, what you do first is you nose it and that means you it's not like a wine tasting where you swirl the you know wine around around vigorously you basically roll the whiskey in the glass and then you take a bunch of deep sniffs you know sniffs as it's called and what you're looking for is different flavors um you know your nose is uh, is you know integrally uh, you know incorporated with your palate so, when you and you keep your mouth open a little bit, it's recommended because what you're doing is you're, you know, lessening the whiskey fumes. So, what you're looking for, a better nose means when you smell something, you can identify. Uh, what you're smelling to some extent, and women tend to have—it's been proven. I think we yeah. mentioned this in other other podcasts uh, that women have been proven to have a better sense of smell and a, and you know more uh, receptors in their nose and more receptors, you know, taste receptors in the mouth, and so Lynn could pick up on different flavor, you know, flavors. She would be able to say, "Oh, this is apricot." And, you know, Bill will go, well, OK, you know, I mean, he would he would he has a good palate as well, but he widely acknowledges that she has a better palate and palate means that, you know, not only can you identify identify uh, <clears throat> aromas when you smell something, uh, you're able to identify tastes on the tongue, you know, in the mouth. So and Bill says you know, Bill said, Well, and this is true, I think, in general. Um, it, it's very subjective what people knows and taste. I mean, it's all based on your sense of memory. Right. So, if you, I think I've mentioned before, I grew up on a farm. And so I tend to pick up green notes that a lot of people don't. Um, Bill is famous for saying, Well, this, this smells like my uncle's leather chair. This is a true story. <laughs> so, but he says he doesn't, you know, mention that to anybody else because. They weren't around his grandfather, you know, his uncle's, great, you know, leather chair. So, you know, everybody brings their own kind of flavor story to the to the table. So but women, um, there's a reason that a lot of women have become, you know, blenders, especially blending is is, you know, taking whiskeys owned by a distillery and blending them together in house. It's kind of vatting is another different way to put it. And they're the ones who smell everything And knows everything they say okay this whiskey will go with this whiskey we'll go with this whiskey sometimes it's up to 14 whiskeys and uh to put those together in-house to create a house style so um and and lynn what lynn did is she would take three samples and that that she would give to family and friends she'd give them to bill and he'd pick the whiskey to release
0: that's an expensive nose <laughs> it
1: is, <laughs> yeah, a, an award-winning nose, an I award-winning, nose,
0: a very valuable nose. <laughs> exactly. <That> nose. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly.
0: So, he, let, this is what we all want to know: what whiskies should we be looking out for, specifically whiskies from Down Under? Oh.
1: <laughs> I love the way you say that, romeo That's <laughs> my horrible intent. <laughs> yeah down under. <laughs> um, down under, down under. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, gonna do, I'm gonna say that to everybody. Um, well, of course, I would say look for lark whiskey., um, you know, it was one of the first uh, Australian Tasmanian whiskies to be awarded. Um, and they just celebrated their thirtieth anniversary last year. So uh, if you can find a bottle of that, yeah, I would pick it up and you can afford it. Uh, interesting story, uh, John Grant from Glen Farkless founded a bottle that uh, was put down uh, into the barrel the same year that he called up uh, Bill Lark and encouraged him. So if you can find the 28-year, it's got a picture of both of them on the label. So that's oh, very sweet. That's very, nice. yeah, expensive, yeah. expensive but sweet. Sullivan's Cove, <clears throat> I'd mentioned earlier, which won the you know first uh, World Whiskey of the Year. They continued to produce uh, award-winning whiskeys. I mean, just awards year after year after year. Um, Hellier's H-E-L-L-Y-E-R-S, Road, Hellier's Road, uh, is also kind of a legacy brand. Um, they were producing from, since like the 19th century, and it was basically a bunch of dairy farmers who wanted to use their grain uh, for some, you know, they didn't want it to go bad. So they started distilling and then they got an infusion of money. So um they're a legacy brand. Uh I've mentioned Star Word, uh, which does a lot of uh, mature, all of their maturing basically in uh wine barrels. They are amazing. They have won tons. And t- I think the last year, 2022, they won more uh awards than any other distillery at uh I think it was the World Whiskey Award. So if they were they're amazing. I mean I'm a huge fan. They're very accessible whiskeys, they have you know, huge price ranges. So if you just want to go into an entry level, they're great to start with and they're widely accessible in the US, especially I know. Um and then, you know, some of the smaller whiskeys like Kalara, I was talking about Christy Booth Lark, you know, who the second generation distiller, mm-hmm. a little harder to find. Um, If you can Pocono, which is that New Zealand whiskey I had mentioned, that's kind of new to the scene. But um, that is those are relatively available. That's that's uh, but that's gotten a lot of money behind a Pocono. Uh, So I would check that out. Uh, And, you know, Thompson and Cardrona are uh, both the New Zealand whiskeys. That I think are relatively accessible. You know, it's hard to know. I know we have a, an international audience, so I'm not sure. I can only speak to uh, oh, you we, know whiskeys that I know.
0: We have a we have a good following in Australia, just so you know. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I'm 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 preaching to the converted there. Uh, <laughs> you <know? laughs> but you know, I, I
0: before um, I do want to ask you. You mentioned all these amazing whiskeys from uh, down under, and I what I wanted to know are these single blended? Um, what are we looking at?
1: Um, generally speaking, they tend to be single malts. Uh, there's, you know, there was that history of, yes, you know, yeah. whiskey I being produced to- for, bl- for, you know, okay. for bad blended whiskey. So they tend to be single malts. Okay, um, Thank yeah, you yeah. there, there is, yeah, it's, it's, it. It's kind of the preferred style. And I think also, even though there's obviously there's blended scotch was a big thing for a long period of time. Bill Lark, you know, godfather of whiskey, he fell in love with single malt scotch. So that's kind of has dominated because of inf- his influence over 30 years. It's kind of dominated the whiskey industry and what they make.
0: Cool. Now, any other whiskey brands you want to mention as well? Are you, uh...
1: Well, um, I would say, you know, I, I'm hoping that Kilara. Uh, will, uh, you know, kind of be available for, you know, for purchase. I think um, Christy uh, is still, those barrels are, are still being laid down as, and maturing. But I want whiskey from the uh, second, first, second generation distiller. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, you know, she was, I, I, I just love her story. I mean, you know, when she would, uh, as a kid, she you know she spent tons of time at the distillery did everything at the distillery but as a kid uh, one of the other things that Lynn and Bill did is they brought peat to Tasmanian whiskey mm-hmm. and I think I've mentioned before that's like yep. a smoky whiskey well, that's and that's that's reason for me to try cuz I love Yes exactly the- me too Maria <laughs> um and they discovered this is interesting they discovered that the central highlands of Tasmania have peat bogs that are very similar to the central uh, highlands of Scotland, which wow. and both produce. Oh, kind now of, I'm definitely on board. I know, <laughs> I know, we do. And they, they, you know, unlike I mean, a lot of people go, oh, smoky whiskey, gross. You know, a lot of people are thinking of oh, Iowa whiskey. The best. Which, you know, I yeah, I love it, but you know, there's a, a lot of iodine. But these central, these Highland uh, peat, it's kind of more floral, more plant based. It's not as much, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. So anyway, but Christy, as a kid, used to go with her family and dig up uh, the uh, the peat with her family and they take it home in trash bags. So she started from a very <laughs> early age. <laughs> so that's that's beautiful.
0: Anyway. Listen, Kim, thank you so much for walking us through Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, whiskeys. And it's it's fascinating and as uh, usual,
1: we learned a ton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. Well, you know, I love your guys' questions. And, you know, it's always so much fun to to do this with, you know, every Wednesday or when we record. <laughs> I know it's not when we're released, but uh, uh highlight of my week, certainly.
0: It's for all of us who are into whiskeys where it's really a good good it's good topics. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today. We are your host, Romeo.
1: Your co host Maria. And your co-host, Kim. Till next
0: time.